Hey, business owners, ever wondered what happens when you take a payment? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through currency converting, security asserting, business supporting, real-time reporting, e-com providing, or expert advising, <laughs> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To find out more, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services, DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. In the last year, cybersecurity has dramatically risen to the top of the Irish current affairs agenda. The catastrophic attack on the HSE, which crippled our health services last year, woke people up to Ireland's relatively thin layers of protection against cyber attacks and IT threats here. One of the state's responses was to beef up Ireland's National Cyber Security Centre, doubling its staff and increasing its remit. But will it be enough? Or does Ireland remain dangerously exposed? I'm Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, and joining me to discuss this today is the newly appointed director of the National Cyber Security Centre, Richard Brown. Richard, you're welcome to the podcast. Howdy, howdy. Richard, I'm going to ask you in a moment for an explanation of your role and what you do, but for the week that's in it, are we at a heightened state of alert right now because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict? Yes, we are. Okay. What does that mean in effect? It means a number of different things. So I suppose to begin with and to contextualize for people, we don't regard the the likelihood or probability of a direct state-led attack on Irish infrastructure from the Russian state as being high. But the possibility exists, of course. Rather, our risk, our primary risk in this context is the possibility of a secondary or tertiary effect of attacks elsewhere. What does that mean? What that means, if a service, for example, in financial services or take your pick, any sector, is attacked in another jurisdiction by a state actor or by a ransomware group, there's a probability, quite a high probability, of follow-on effects here. All the services we take for granted, all the sectors we use in our daily lives are interconnected on a global level. So take, for example, airlines. The British Airways, for example, had an outage in the recent past. It wasn't a cyber attack, although many people thought immediately that it was. It was simply a function of their doing a change to their configuration, which brought down some of their services, which had, in turn had knock-on effects for passengers here. We're all interconnected. And it's those risks that we regard as being primary right now. Okay. And in with the current conflict that's going on at the moment, what's being talked of are nation states, mainly Russia, taking action against Ukrainian assets with some activity going the other way. Is there any chance that any of that uh, activity could see repercussions here. Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the spillover you were referring to was some of the spillover from the Wiper malware over the last couple of days, which was targeted originally at, at Ukraine, but seems to have spilled into Latvia and Lithuania particularly. I think it's worth keeping in mind that, I mean, there's a very interesting academic um, discussion ongoing for many years on the role and, and meaning and effect of, of cyber power as a military and, and civilian asset. But in this context, the tools that have been deployed in, in Ukraine in the last couple of, couple of days, couple of weeks, have been relatively straightforward by national and international comparisons. There's no magic there. So the, the types of things that we've seen in terms of DDoS attacks, in terms of that kind of wiper malware, it's fairly straightforward to deal with. Sorry, forgive me. Um, our friends in the, the antivirus community had that immediately. It was immediately fixed, if you like. So those aren't the immediate threats we worry about. Those are, for want of a better term, trash fire. They're just stuff that's there. The things that would really worry us would be something like a, um, not Petcha, 
2. In other words, where you have this rapidly advancing wormable um, malware which spreads across states without any recourse to borders. I mean, we weren't hit, in inverted commas, by NotPetya no more so than anybody else was. It just rolled across the world using its self-propagating uh, mechanisms. That's the type of thing that would worry us most, along with the old-fashioned ransomware. Yeah. Well, I mean, just on that, the biggest thing to have hit Ireland, obviously, in the last 20 years probably was the HSE attack uh, last year. Do you think if the same thing happened again now that we deal with it better or that we'd be better protected? So I, I think that using the term protection in this context is kind of a, a misleading one because many of the, it's the nature of the internet, the nature of the network is that it's privatized and balkanized. It's owned by in, individuals who own and control their own infrastructure and the responsibility for protecting it is ultimately theirs. We see and we have seen countless ransomware attacks here over, over the last number of years, the vast majority of which are prevented before they ever go anywhere. And the HSC incident, as the PwC report into it, which was released just before Christmas, makes very clear it was preventable. It was fixable. There was no, again, magic in that incident. It was just a series of mistakes made by individuals and by groups in that context. Um, I think two things really kind of flow from that. One, if nothing else, HSE has has seen us become much better prepared as a society for these kinds of incidents. Boards are much more aware of the issues involved. Those in charge of funding and organisations are much more aware of the issues involved. Secondly, our powers in the NCSC and our capacity to deal with and warn people about those things are already much, much improved. That process will continue. We've quite a lot of work to do this year and next year in terms of capacity and technology and legislation. But yeah, we're in a much better okay. space than we were thanks to the HSC. Well, just on that latter point, mm. can you give me an example of what you mean by your capacity or capability to to deal with that from a technology point of view, from any point of view? Could you sure. give me an example? So, so start, start with the obvious one. In terms of people, um, we started out in, well, go by way back, we started out with nothing. But in terms of the HSC incident, we had 25 or 26 people during the HSC incident. Um, by the end of this year, we'll have at least 45. That's the government. And what decision. does that mean in effect? What that means in effect is that we will have, so the, the response team, the, the CSERT, or as it will be known in future, the operations team, um, now has 11 or 12 people. By the year end, it'll be 25. Um, which means we'll be able to offer much more by way of monitoring capability and much more way of recourse to entities. Our biggest issue right now is we don't have the bandwidth to deal with all the trash fire, all the minor issues. Okay, and just it's maybe worthwhile to go back to basics here in terms of what the National Cybersecurity Centre does and what its remit is. As I am hearing you and as I'm understanding it, it's not so much to prevent things or to protect against things happening. It's how to deal with things and how to educate people before they happen. Is that right? It's it's much more expansive and complex than that, unfortunately. Let's go back to the, the National Cybersecurity Strategy first, the 2019 one. And that kind of frames how states do cyber and then what NCSCs or bodies of that type do. So in the first instance, there's three pillars to that 2019 strategy and they remain largely pertinent. First one is protect. In other words, we have to have the ability to protect people, institutions, organizations, services. I mean, forgive me for saying yeah. this, but it doesn't appear that we have a great capacity in Ireland to do it. We, we appear to be very, very thinly protected compared to other advanced countries and European countries. Some of that is, is, some of that is true. That's why we're spending so much time and money on capacity building. Some of it is simply down to the fact that well, we don't publish much of our successes. So you go to other jurisdictions and they will publish widely you know, attacks that were foiled, attacks that were dealt with. We don't do that for a number of historical reasons. Oh, OK. But even still, I mean, just in terms of resources, mm. which you bring up rightly, um, the budget, the resources, the staffing, 
the profile of the National Cybersecurity Centre um, has been raised in the last year. Yet, when you look at a lot of the international indexes, and I know that there are ones that can be flattering and ones that can, uh, you know, c- cannot be flattering, but there are, there are indexes that show, I'm looking at one here that shows Ireland ranked 52nd in the world between Tunisia and Nigeria. Um, that's in the ITU cyber index where, where the UK is ranked second. I, I think the general perception, no matter who you talk to, even people who wish us well, is that we don't really take cybersecurity as seriously here as they do in other countries. In some cases, historically, that's certainly true. I mean, it's worth keeping in mind, our NCSC was founded in 2011. Other jurisdictions had their NCSCs and, in fact, the progenitor bodies around since the 1940s. Well, other countries, I mean, to be fair, would have much more developed and advanced sensibilities on things like defence spending. I mean, the UK, for example, is a big defence spend. Obviously, the Americans, the Israelis, uh, like these countries, we historically don't spend much on defense. And to my thinking, that has there has to be some crossover in our relationship with cyber defense there. There certainly is. I mean, a lot of that is down to the fact we've had a relatively benign external security environment. We've had a very safe community within which well, to... We've kind of been protected by the Brits a bit as well. In what well, in naval terms, certainly. But in, in cyber, particularly, the, the fact of the matter is that the... Organizations that gave rise to NCSCs in most of the rest of Europe and the US were governmental organizations often involved in cryptography or protecting government information. So CSG in the UK, the Norwegians, they were all founded in 1942. We didn't have an equivalent body and the extent to which we had a cryptographic capability in World War II, it was dissolved in 45, 46. So we started with essentially nothing in 2011. I mean, our, our department tried repeatedly through the 90s to establish the CSIRT, but never got traction. And as you say, some of this is historic. We didn't ever consider, for a variety of different reasons, cyber as being a real priority. Just, yeah. I mean, just one thing on that. So we deal with parliamentary questions from the Oireachtas on a very regular basis. And it's usually a good indicator of what's on people's minds, what's on politicians' minds, what's on the people's minds, because our political system is very closely tuned to the man on the street for very valid reasons. We've gotten, before HSC, we've got very, very few parliamentary questions. People yeah. weren't concerned. Yeah. Um, and as someone who was involved in setting up the NCSC and was involved in writing strategies and building it from, from the ground up, that was the, the, the reality we lived in. Now, importantly, that reality has completely changed. Well, has but, it completely changed or has it just sort of changed since the HSC attack? Because, I mean, I agree 100% with what you're saying about Irish politicians being in tune with uh, sentiment on the ground. They have to be. This Arguably, Ireland is a country where politicians are more representative of ordinary attitudes in the street than many other uh, European countries. I don't really detect a huge elevation in concern over cyber issues other than, you know, the HSE attack must not uh, happen again. Now, I'm sure you, you'll you'll give me examples why why that's not right. Um it's it's well obviously it's not right, but I think the, well, the, the, a lot of the examples are going to be things you'll see emerge in the next couple of months. What are the things that have happened already? So in terms of staffing, for example, we have four competitions live now. That low that that's multiples of any any situation we had in the past at much more senior grades than we ever had in the past. So our staffing is going to increase very dramatically. The forty five figure, by the way, will likely be surpassed and surpassed handily by year end. So we have very dramatic commitment from Minister Ryan and Minister Smith. Um, both in terms of decisions around procuring services, around legislation, and around staffing. So capability development is something that is on 
literally at the top of my agenda. I mean, is, is, it, by... is it fair to characterize that, though, as a crisis response to, to a major incident that happened last year? Oh, my God, this was terrible. We must not let something like this happen again. We must be better prepared. Right. What do you need? We'll we'll staff it and we will resource it to, to that degree. For example, your own role was unfilled for, I think, over a year. Uh, and I think the original salary offered for that was half of what it, the one that you um, ended up uh, being appo- appointed on. And most people that I talked to at the time in the IT security industry thought that the original salary, which was around 85, 90,000 euro, was completely unrealistic for the role that was being advertised at the time. And that would... Well, the salary is actually, it was quite a bit higher than that at the time, but it was reported at that at the time. It was reported that. Oh, yeah. it was higher than that. It was higher than that, yeah. Okay. It was 110 or 15 okay. or something. Fair enough. That's, you know, a, a little bit better. But even still, there was a general feeling abroad, which was borne out by the fact that the role wasn't filled, I guess, that this was part of a larger um, problem that we have in Ireland where, we, we, you know, we didn't treat cybersecurity as urgently maybe as as we should have to to get those roles filled, you know? Um, Potentially. But I mean, the, the one thing I will say that in all of this is that building a unit like this, finding staff and building capacity in a coherent, manageable way takes time and it has to be done properly. Otherwise, it simply won't work. I can tell you that from experience. So if you look at the, the pattern of recruitment we had, we recruited very heavily in 2017 and 18. We took a lot of people in from the defence forces, from private industry. Um, and then we've, we gave it a period of time for those to bed in. Um, the 2019 strategy commits to substantially reinforcing the NCSC. That wasn't after the HSC attack, it was well before the incident. So the longstanding political commitment has been there to grow the NCSC. During when that incident occurred in, in May of last year, the capacity review into the NCSC was literally just being finished. Um, and the figures in it, by the way, didn't change. There was no dramatic increase in figures on foot of the HSC incident. The commitment was already there prior to that. So and that was, again, um, agreed by government in greater detail in July and is now official policy. So. This is not something that can be done overnight. Um, a very showy, explosive expansion could do much more harm than good in terms of capability. Also, it's worth keeping in mind that a great number of the things we deal with, 40, 50 percent, are not in the national security realm and thus can never make the public domain. And information that we handle, deal with, take in, send out, has to be dealt with with the utmost seriousness. So you can't just bring in bluntly anybody. Staffing has to be dealt with extremely carefully. They're all very fair points. On the issue of national security, this is not your problem and not your fault, but I can't help mentioning it. Our Minister for Foreign Affairs and Minister for Defence said that he had his phone hacked. His department then said, one of his departments then said that it was being dealt with by the National Cyber Security Centre. And I only raise this just as an example of how it appears that cyber security issues aren't don't appear to be taken that seriously. The issue just died. There was no more about it. We put in requests, we put in freedom of information requests, and maybe it was a national security issue. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a a simple phishing thing. But there was no great clamor for more information about it. And to me, I read that as, okay, well, that's, that's, that's old Ireland's attitude towards cybersecurity. Not seen as that as important. You said there was no great clamor. From who? From other politicians, from the media, I have to say, I hold up my own my own industry um, in that regard, from the public, from the great body politic in Ireland, which was outraged for about three months about the HSE uh, cyber attack 
um, but may not be quite as concerned about cybersecurity anymore. And in any other country, to me, if the Minister for Defence and Minister for Foreign Affairs had his or her phone hacked, um, to me, that would be a, a big issue in, in, in another country. It wasn't a big issue here. It might not have been a big issue for the media, but it was these kinds of things are issues for us on an ongoing basis. And that's why, again, that 50% of our time is spent essentially in, in spaces that can't ever make the public domain. Um, I can't obviously comment on any specific incident or issue or on devices or anything else. Um, but this is why our role is so serious and why growth has to be dealt with in a sustainable fashion. I mean, the question about lack of public clamour or the, the lack of political interest in this, I think it, it's it's important to note that because of our, our benign external security environment, we don't tend to have a large public consciousness of risk in this space, which is, of course, an ongoing question. Um, I think recent events, even over the last weekend, might change some of that a little. Um, but this is this is the environment within which we work. Those of us who work in that space make do with what we have and take our opportunities when they arise. In this case, we now have an opportunity to substantially increase the NCSC. The political commitment is to 70 by the end of 2024. That will grow. Um, I'm very confident we'll see more than that by then. The only question we're going to have is getting the people, not paying them enough, finding the bodies. Because the skill sets we need um, are often quite bespoke and quite unique. Um, and quite frankly, we can only steal so many people from the defence forces over time. So there's an ongoing challenge there, but that's why we're recruiting at the moment. For example, we have three competitions that are, oh, sorry, two competitions closed and two that are, are live right now. One for cybersecurity specialists. So this is in civil service terms, an AP1 level grade, engineer level one. Um, we're looking for people to come in with two to five years experience in IT in general. If they have compliance experience in IT, if they have experience in in risk management, if experience in malware or reverse engineering, we'll take anybody with those kinds of skills. Come work for us. Come work for us. Where do if, you work? if you think you're good enough. Um, we're based right now in Dublin 2. Our future office will be in Dublin 4. Wow. In Ballsbridge. No expense spared. It's a, an existing state building. So it's very good. Very not good. quite like that, but close. Um, I see a lot of surveys among uh, IT security executives from mainly big consulting firms like Deloitte and PricewaterhouseCoopers. And most of them seem to say the same thing, that in Ireland, executives in uh, big companies with responsibilities for IT security expect a rise in cybercrime uh, this year. They expect a rise in ransomware attacks, malicious uh, malware. In general, they're fearful-ish. They're not panicking, but they're fearful do you, would you say that's correct? Would you say that you, were you expecting also a rise in that type of activity? Well, I suppose it's the first one to keep in mind in this, and it, it, this happens in media and people have to sell their product. It's normal that vendors are, are out making a market for themselves to an extent. And that's perfectly understandable. Whether it's always helpful is a different matter entirely. So they would say that. They, they would say that. And that's, but again, I'm not saying they're wrong, but just that there's obviously that codicil has to be applied, applied to everything. I think in this case, we have seen over the last three years a dramatic increase in human-operated ransomware, which has become a huge problem. And it has dramatic economic consequences. I mean, a lot of the, the incidents that we deal with, even the successful incidents, if you like, in the private sector, um, are not reported. So people never really find out that these incidents have occurred, yet people incur substantial financial cost. So that is an ongoing issue. I mean, also, what is an incident? For some people, a, a phishing email is an incident. For others, having their entire server farm wiped out is an incident. Now, there are, I believe there are 70 critical infrastructure facilities designated uh, in Ireland, um, operators of essential services. 
Are these in the likes of energy, transport, uh, that kind of infrastructure? Yes. Simple answer. So it, again, I, this is where I talk about a European directive never be falls asleep instantly. There are seven sectors in Annex uh, 1 of the NIS directive, which includes uh, energy, transport, including, including sorry, energy includes gas, oil, electricity, and so on. Transport includes aviation, land, sea, etc. ports, you name it. Um, drinking water supply, there's two different financial services sectors, and there's internet, sorry, there's internet infrastructure. So it's, it's quite a broad field. So let's say you might have an entity, a really crucial entity, like, for example, the energy grid, right? That's, I mean, you, you can't get much more fundamental. Yeah. That. That's often one of the first things that's talked about as being, you know, a worst case scenario in a, in a cyber war. What is it that, you know, the energy grid in Ireland, what kind of additional protection or how would the NCSC get involved uh, in, in that space? Well, in general, I'm not talking about any specific company. No, okay. The... What we have is a series of guidelines which are published and mapped against a number of different international standards. We are based ours on the US NIST framework, but we've mapped it to a number of other frameworks that people use generally in industry. And that sets out across five different uh, quanta, five different areas, the things, sectors that, sorry, actions that we need taken. And it's all mapped in, in the document. The, the individual areas are, um, so in other words, um, identify. So work out what infrastructure you have is critical. Um, Detect the ability, have the ability to detect and so these, these all sound like basic things. Well, they're they're basic things, but you start off with the basics and then you build down into granular controls. And if controls. they don't, or it's or what though? Well, if they don't, so they're audited by us in some cases and by other entities yeah. and others. Now, importantly, we're in the process of trying to remove that compliance role from ourselves. Again, it's very important we can engage deeply with entities when it's as incidents occur, rather than having them sitting behind a group of lawyers going, "Don't tell them anything in case we're." whatever, infringed or mm. penalised thereafter. That's a downstream question. But what they're obliged to do is to take these series of in-depth measures and to maintain them over time. We then audit entities on a regular basis and look for evidence that they are in compliance with, with the, the And if they're not? And if they're not, then we have a number of different things we can do. So the first one is we, we, and we have done this and we do this on a fairly regular basis in the past, is to bring put them on what we call an improvement plan, whereby we identify the gaps, the delta between where they are and where they should be, and then give them a timeline to get to the baseline. Okay. Now, what we have beyond that is powers to compel the release of information, which is point one. And lastly, we have powers where we compel them to make changes by law. Okay. Failure to do that is a criminal sanction. So there's real power. There's real power there. Have they, broadly speaking, have they kept up in their preparation uh, to the same extent as the bad guys have with their technology and being able to attack? Uh, this isn't always a technology issue. So for the very, very most part, this is a governance question. Oh, okay. Can you be sure that same you question. are? Yeah. So the, by, by and large, yes, absolutely. So for example, the bad guys' tool sets, you look at the tool sets used by the main ransomware groups, they're not new. You know, the, the types of tool sets they're using are, are well-established and, and well-understood. The HSE one, for example, the 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 cobalt strike mechanism used to, to migrate across systems has been used for years. It was detected by multiple parties in the HSC incident, but it was never stopped. I remember um, talking to the acting CIO of the, of the HSC at the time, and he made it fairly clear there was a broad policy at the time. Look, we're not going to pay a ransom. That's not the way we do things. I assume that would be considered to be the appropriate response in that kind of a. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, whatever about paying a ransom and funding criminal behaviour and funding further attacks, which is essentially what you're doing, um, there's also absolutely no guarantee you'll get your data back um, at all. So 
it's a very high risk game. And once you're in that kind of situation, quite often the only thing you can hope to do is recover from backup because that's where you are. Um, and that's why we always say, and again, to go back to our five point guide in, in terms of process, the last one is recover. And if you can do nothing else, make sure you have the ability to recover. Yeah, yeah. Lastly, you've used the phrase national security a few times. People, when they think of national security, they think of movies and they think of guys walking around with sunglasses on and the Pentagon and, and, and things like that. In Ireland, is it right to uh, have a picture in your head of national security as being a couple of people from one department talking to a couple of people from another department talking to the odd military attache talking to the guard? No. No. Not at all. It's not. So there's, there's a sophisticated apparatus there. There is a long-standing and sophisticated, sophisticated apparatus of which, of course, is utterly hidden from public view as it needs to be given the nature of the issues. I mean, it's very hard to hide things in public view in Ireland, though. You think... Well, it is. But, well, you, you mentioned previously about the lack of clamour about ministers' phones. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you know about ministers' phones? Well, I don't know much about the, the, about, about, uh, the ministers' phones. Which is phones. kind of the point I'm making. Well, well, there are two potential reasons for that. One is because there was an incredibly sophisticated um, apparatus there to make sure that that remained secret. The other is that nobody really cared about it and they just said, look, we just won't answer the questions because nobody else will ask questions about it. And also, we won't um, address the issue, even if the minister in question uh, you know, was texting and phoning other ministers uh, across the European Union who themselves might be vulnerable under certain circumstances if it was a certain categorization uh, of, of malware. But those things weren't even discussed. They weren't even discussed. Again, that's, that's a political and public sphere issue. I mean, the only thing I can say is that there are extant and long-serving systems in lots of cases where, which deals with these kinds of issues. The one thing I will say, and it, it is a problem, we don't tend to declassify or make public much of this at all, which of course doesn't help the public understanding of the types of risks that, that engage it in this It really space. doesn't. And in, cyber is different in that regard, which is why I can do things like this, for example, because I have to do things like this. The, the public understanding of, of the risks, be they nation state or criminal actor, needs to be engaged with by people like me to explain what they are, both in terms of the seriousness and in terms of where some of the public discussion overstates the extent of the risk. There's a really interesting point in all of this when people talk about the, the cyber war phenomenon. It's a great book by Thomas Reid called roughly, there's no such thing as cyber war, but cyber is not akin in many ways to military action. Um, yes, it can have kinetic or quasi-kinetic effects. Yes, it could be hugely disruptive, but in many ways it's much more akin to intelligence issues or issues of subversion. It is one of those things that governments can reach for very readily because it doesn't have the blowback or consequences that other things might, like military action. So it is in a different, much more nebulous and much more asymmetric space, which makes it very difficult for people to understand and contextualize what it means in a practical sense. The important point I'm trying to make here is it is fundamentally a political issue. Um, it is not a military issue purely, it's not a law enforcement issue purely, although both are absolutely fundamentally engaged. It is a political question. When states apply cyber measures to one another, quite often they stem for or from or originate in the intelligence gathering space, which means that this is, of course, hugely sensitive. Intelligence gathering is one of the most sensitive, sensitive roles any state has. So for us to understand what cyber means for a state like ours, we have to understand that that's largely where it comes from and where it goes. So the implications for us in terms of how we respond lie in the political direction. They lie in diplomatic and other types of sanctions, responses, dialogue, 
action and others. So this is a this is a really complex area for people to understand, particularly as you say, when there isn't that long-standing public discussion about security issues. Cyber is different, very serious, but not the same as military activity. Okay, that's a pretty good summary, I have to say. Uh, Richard, to finish up the podcast, thank you very much for uh, joining me today on The Big Tech Show. Uh, Richard Brown, the newly appointed director of the National Cyber Security Centre. And for me, Adrian Wechter, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you same time next week. Bye-bye. 